Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. There is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum. This is the fifth quarter. I am Rana Hussein, and I am in my home studio all by myself, sort of. I'm about to talk to an amazing friend and human being, uh, someone I very much respect. I wanted to talk to her about fandom because some of you might have picked up in listening to the podcast that I tend to be a very confused fan when it comes to sport between multiple teams, working in the industry, but also being a sports fan and finding so much about the sporting industry problematic. I thought I would call up Dr. Casey Simons from Swinburne to talk to her about being a sports fan and all the ways in which it's glorious, but also hard. Welcome, Casey. Hi, Rana. Thanks so much for having me for this chat. I think we've had this conversation many times. We had such a similar journey and (laughs) I love talking to you about this stuff and unpacking all of the glorious messiness of being a fan. (laughs) Oh, we have. We've had a few coffees talking about this topic and I thought it's high time I got you on the pod and we did a little bit of a siren sanctum copro and talk about fandom. So you are a researcher on a whole number of things, but one of them is what it means to be a sports fan. Can you tell me a little bit about the research that you do? Sure. I'm really interested in fandom from, I guess, a gendered perspective and what it means to be a woman as a fan and sort of interrogating my own experience being a fan and being a woman, mostly of men's sport, but now transitioning that into the women's sports space and the differences between the two from a fan perspective. But where I get super nerdy and what I get really niche about in my research is also the representation of fans in popular culture and how fans are framed, particularly women as fans, if they're framed in certain ways in film and literature to try and delegitimize their fandom or position them as other, even though they're really behaving in a way of a typical fan. What we've seen in a lot of the research and the experiences, and I'm coming at this from being a white cishet woman in the space and that experience from a gender perspective. So I just want to preface that first, that I'm sort of coming from my own experience there, but understand that's not reflective of all of the fan experiences when it comes to gender. But I'm really interested in how we all behave in ways that we're taught to be a fan. But when you're coming from an experience that isn't the stereotypical or historically traditional fan, which is usually a a white man, a white cishet man, that you really are, you lose your power as a fan in those spaces because of the way that you're framed, even though you think you're behaving a way, the way a fan should behave. So 
I find that really interesting from a reflective point of view in the literature, in pop culture, because I think that that actually perpetuates all of these stereotypes and tells us how to be fans in certain ways and how to see other people as fans and judge their fandom. It's such a relevant conversation for us and I'm so glad I get to talk to you today because we are of course the outer sanctum and we are all about the fans and the experience of fandom. What does your research tell us about what the rules are around fandom? Are there unspoken rules? Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely rules. And I think that's so interesting to look at from a research perspective over fandom research, probably in the last 30 years, because the research really does sort of center that white male privilege within the fan space and what the rules are, the behavior and loyalty and identity with your fandom and how you interact with the team or the club that you've chosen to support or been indoctrinated to support is probably more likely. (laughs) And then as we move forward through the research, we sort of see a lot of different breaking down of subsect of fans as researchers started to be um, more prevalent for the women's experience in men's sports. Um, Some amazing researchers have done great work there. Researchers like Kim Toffoletti, who I think was a very early guest on the Outer Sanctum back in the day, which was talking about what the outer sector means and that fan experience that was so instrumental to me to hear someone talk about fandom like that on your own podcast so I thank you all for doing that work and centering those voices but we do see a lot of rules like you mentioned and when people like uh, Kim come in and, and look at what it means for women and breaking down certain categories and trying to look at how women come in through different ways and how they interact in different ways we start to see them being given a bit more visibility in the space and we start to see a bit more research come through from people of different backgrounds but what it also tells us is that these fans are still really other and their experiences is still kind of removed from this central idea of what fandom is and that overall umbrella term of fandom still really is tied to this almost one idea of what it means to be a fan and that is to accept all of the rules, to be loyal no matter what, that if things come up outside of the pitch or the court or the field, that it doesn't matter, you need to be your the perfect fan and represent your team and your club. It doesn't mean that you can't be upset if they lose. I mean, so much fandom is tied up in emotion and being angry and you know, wanting to burn your membership if your team has lost a really winnable game or wanting to sack the coach if you've been on a losing streak. That's not what it means to be loyal and you don't show this kind of unwavering support. Like sometimes you do want to burn it all down. But burning it all down usually means just the on-field performance. It doesn't mean a lot of the stuff that we know is really important surrounding the game as well. So when you do navigate the space outside of that and you start to question your allegiance to your club or your team, you start to question how you feel about you know certain things that might be happening off the field or positions that people in your sporting organisations are taking it really does create such conflict and complication within yourself because you start to challenge this idea that you've been sold of what it means to be a fan and you start to feel guilty about questioning that. You start to feel disloyal because that's the narrative that you've been fed, that a real fan would never walk away. A real fan would never question the decisions that are being made about your sporting club, would never question the colours of the jumper and your logo and and what it means to be a fan of that organisation. So when things do happen in that space that do make you question that, 
I think some fans do it a lot better and have a lot better um, ways to do that and take moral stands, which I so admire because that's something I've not been able to do a lot of times in my fan experience, which I'm, you know, actually quite ashamed of because I've been fed that that narrative for so long and it's so tied up in a sense of belonging, which I think is really important too. What I'm really interested in is that there's just no one way to talk about fandom. There's no one type of fan and fandom is really hard work, which I don't think we talk about enough. I know for me, when it comes to fandom, you know, footy was always in the background of my life. And then I kind of chose it one day. I decided, okay, I'm going to be a fan. And I thought being a fan was to really lean in. I was turning up to Melbourne games with devil horns, you know, sequin devil horns on my head. I made sure my hijab was red and blue. I would always, you know, have blue eyeliner on. And when I look back now on that teenager doing all of that in that way, I realized that all of that was probably me saying, I feel so on the outer of this and I want in. Has Mm -hmm. that been your experience? Yeah, I think that's something that I can definitely identify with too. I mean, my journey of supporting West Coast is a really weird one. If When you look at how uh, fans are indoctrinated into a club or team, I kind of did the same thing. I chose to be a fan and I chose my club mostly for that reason. Um, in my family, I'm the firstborn. My father is a Richmond supporter he was trying to get me to go for Richmond being, you know, his kid and wanting to indoctrinate the whole family. And I was just such a brat of a kid, Rana. I just said no to everything. Um, it got I to relate. a point. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it got to a point where my father was, um, you know, we. I grew up in Mildura, very like suburban footy was king. Um, you had to have a football team just because that's what you did. It sort of signified who you are and was really important and if you didn't follow footy you were weird so I think that was the first signal I was really given as a kid that you know to belong I needed to be part of this and so within my being a brat and wanting to say no I found a way to do it sort of on my terms and you know I'm just really young it was only around four or five point <laughs> two. so but he said you know if you're not going to go for Richmond you just need to pick a club just pick another Victorian club and I was just like you can't tell me what to oh, do man. so I picked the West Coast Eagles um, because they were the furthest away and I liked their colours and they just won in 92 and um, at that time they were having sort of moving into 94 and the 94 premiership really solidified it for me. So for me, it was that I actively chose this club. They were representative of a decision I made that I think really summed up my personality. I did the same thing. I went and got all the stuff. I lent in hard because I think I had that qualifier that I needed a football team to belong. I needed to signal to everyone else who I belonged to. Um, I kind of liked that I was a bit different, that not a lot of people in um, Mildura and country Victoria were West Coast Eagles supporters. <laughs> so I liked that I had my little story and it summed up who I was. So, so much of my identity has been tied up in that decision, that active support I threw behind a club. And I always signal that in a lot of conversations I have, even still today in the research work I do, even in my former life working in sports administration, that I always say that I'm a West Coast Eagles supporter. So when we talk about these issues and and navigating the space when things happen that uh, are difficult and, and sort of question our moral code and something happens in the game, it is this huge quandary for me. Um, and I know 
a lot of other fans as well that if you do have this similar experience where you've thrown so much of your identity and how you belong in the world to a sporting club when things happen it really undoes a lot of you um and it's really hard to navigate that I'm from a place in my fandom that I'm still really clinging to that central narrative I spoke about earlier is that real fans don't walk away and real fans are loyal and I can't I can't get to that place yet or I don't know if I ever will that I will do that so I kind of sit in this uncomfortable space now where I love so much and I support so much but sometimes it you know the sport does let me down and that's really hard. You mentioned then that you worked in a sporting organization can you tell us a little bit about what your view of fans was when you were inside a footy club? Yeah, it's really interesting. I spent a lot of years working in the AFL industry. I worked for the AFL head office and I worked uh, for the Western Bulldogs. So I've had a little bit of experience there. I worked in um, sort of more commercial marketing and commercial communications that really did direct straight to fans. And I think it was an interesting experience because I was really, um, and I was studying at the same time alongside this. So I was doing my honours and my PhD, which was looking at fandom. So I think I was pretty focused on the fan experience. And I think that was the really lovely part of working in those environments was trying to communicate to fans. But I think what I learned along the journey was because I had, you know, sort of these fan blinkers on probably at the start of my experience because of that sense of belonging I spoke to that I wasn't the best fan myself at the times that I was working in those spaces. I thought I was a really good fan, but um, the work that I was doing in my PhD thesis was trying to unpack a lot of those gendered behaviours that sort of pit women against women, that judge other fans for not doing fandom correctly, um, correctly in quotation marks, of course, because, you know, what does that even mean? Um, And I think I was that type of fan that really wanted to be that really horrible stereotype of one of the boys and I really looked down on other women who weren't doing similar things that I was doing. So being in that um, sort of the hyper-masculine environments of the sporting clubs, I didn't really see that right away. I thought I was doing a really good job at putting the fan front and centre because that's what I was passionate about, but I was only really elevating one type of fan. And I think as I grew through the research and sort of started to unpack the fan behaviours that I was exhibiting myself, I was able to do some more work in that space um, while I was in the industry. But I also felt that I wanted to do more research, which is why I ultimately went into academia because I think that's it's such hard work to do when you're inside the four walls um, and you would know from yourself that football Mm. clubs um, are mostly under-resourced, you're so stretched, you're just trying to get teams on the park every week. It's really hard to sit back and reflect on how you're contributing to the space and think about doing things differently. And I think some clubs are doing some amazing work in doing that and trying to change and be more inclusive and and look at their fans in a more dynamic way but it's it's really hard and I felt that I wasn't able to be my best self doing that work at that time when I needed to go on a bit of a spiritual quest myself through my research and and figure out why I was doing some of the things I was doing as a fan and why I was thinking some of these things about other fans in the space too and trying to delegitimize them to elevate my own sense of belonging. belonging. Oh, I relate so hard to this. Don't you think in clubs and in industries, when you 
you're inside the four walls, there's a bit of, it's not, I don't even know if it's classist or there's something that goes on where people start to either look down or other fans themselves or certain types of fans. So I don't even mean along gendered lines, although there's very much conversations around if a female fan is really excited about a male player, maybe she has the hots for him. But also this concept of nuffies and, you know, you shouldn't be too much of a fan either because that's mm-hmm. uncool. Did you notice that as well? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, again, why I wanted to lean more into research because I think the way that we as a society particularly in the sporting industry, perceive fans is so like, yeah, we just so devalue fans and we take away what fandom is and what it means to sport. I mean, without fans, sport doesn't exist. Um, Fans hold up the sporting industry. They hold up clubs. They hold up community sport. Um, They do the work. They volunteer. They put their money where their mouth is. And the way that fans are positioned, and I guess this comes back a lot to the work I do in how fans are presented in popular culture because those stereotypes that you kind of mentioned there are the ones that really are front and centre when you actually get to films and literature that are about sport. When there's a fan involved, they are on that scale of too much a fan and they're crazy. And, yeah, the word nuffy, of course, comes up all the time. And then that's sort of, you know, infantilizes them or tells you that, you know, all they have is their fandom and they're not a real person because of that because they care too much or they love too much. So their opinion then kind of is delegitimized because they're not a well-rounded enough person, which is just so wrong. And then you have all the other motivations why the fans might be in the space that, yeah, if it is from a gendered point of view, the women are there just to you know, in a very heteronormative way, um, perv on the players and their fandom is then completely delegitimized. And then you try to figure out within that scope of all these different types of ways that fans are presented and not appreciated or valued or respected, how are you meant to be the perfect fan then? How do you be a fan and actually get that respect and have that sense of value and that you're contributing something in a way that is equally valued by the sporting organisation, there's no real answer to that because fans are so framed in a way that, you know, I've worked with football clubs that I think have a great sense of value for their fans and do a lot of work in different communities to talk to different groups of fans in different ways and definitely not saying that, you know, it's um, everyone's doing a horrible job. But I think at the end of the day, fans is such a loaded term that when you do work in the space and you have that title of a sports administrator, you do feel a little bit above your fans. And maybe I'm mm. just speaking for myself. Um, I don't think that way anymore, but I think I did have a sense of I was working there. I knew the the research of the marketing, I knew the action plan that I was taking, I knew better than the fans and I was going to tell the fans how they should respond to a campaign or something that we were yeah. doing. I had that authority. Um, and now looking back at that, I just think that's so naive a way of thinking. I don't think, yeah. it's, it, I don't think you're just speaking for yourself. It, I certainly found it the case and it's palpable, I think. I want to get to women and the AFLW in a second, but I have to ask you on a personal, very personal question for me, which is that I cop a lot of flack for having too many teams that I care about. (laughs) And, you know, I 
barrack for Melbourne. I worked at Richmond. They found a place in my heart and now I can't separate the two. I love them both in different ways, but I feel like equally in the cricket, you know, I celebrate India as much as I do Australia. And to me, it makes sense. And it's always surprising how many people find that so difficult. Our culture is so much around, you've got to have one team and you stick to it. And stepping outside of that is sacrilege. And I am flying the flag for, (laughs) as we call it, an open marriage. I'm in the outer sanctum for having multiple identities and multiple teams that you love. Am I a bad fan, Casey? (laughs) Oh my God, Rana, you are such a terrible fan. (laughs) This I come across a lot in the research that I'm starting to do around women's sport in particular, but I think it signals back to this, you know, idea of what this one true fan should be doing or should be seen to be doing, which I just find so fascinating because absolutely, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have rolled my eyes at you and just think that, (laughs) what are you doing? Like, who is this woman coming to my space and is trying to delegitimize my fandom because I've worked so hard to be the perfect fan and not rock the boat and come in and now there's someone else here who is supporting multiple teams which is not what you do (laughs) and now people are going to look at me and think well is she like this other woman and all of this rubbish that we're fed um, to try and compete with each other and so interesting trying to look at those fan experiences and behaviors that we're starting to see in fans like yourself who are coming into sport and women's sport, I think in particular, in such different ways and trying to reframe that conversation. So there's so much research that tells you what a fan is and it will be, you know, fans will wear their team colours, will spend excessive money on merchandise, will show up and go to games, will be active on social media and message boards, will buy memberships. And these are these kind of signature traits of what a real fan is, right? In that sense, you're doing all those things, but in a different way. So why then does that delegitimize and take away from your real quote-unquote fan experience? And I think the biggest uh, one of those, which I spoke about earlier, is this sense of loyalty and not ever leaving or walking away from your team and being there in this unwavering support capacity. And in the women's space, Because what I've found is this narrative of fans coming back and that's such a new phrase or a new experience when it comes to sport fandom because if you've come back, that means you left. And why did you leave? Because if you left, you're not a real fan. Real fans never leave. And what I've found is there are these fans who it took a real toll on them to leave the fan space of the AFL men's competition because of many different reasons in that they tried to fit in, they tried to belong, they tried to be supportive, but it just ate away at them from different experiences, from experiencing just constant homophobia or constant sexism, from seeing their teams continuously justify um, athletes who had been accused of sexual assault continuing to take the field and not say anything about it in a meaningful way or a productive way, constant racism. Um, And we're seeing these things start to be more and more addressed um, in the AFLM space, of course. But for some of these fans, it's just a straw too far and they just can't 
continue to justify being in that space and they do walk away. So immediately sort of from a, a research point of view, we'd code that as non-fan behaviour, that they're not true enough fans to stick it out and stay loyal and just put up with it because that's what a real fan would do. With what I've started to see from different narratives that are coming out of the AFL women's space is and these are through fans that are starting to talk about their story on different radio shows and, you know, experiences they share on podcasts like The Outer Sanctum and on social media and writing for fan blogs and they talk about what the AFLW means to them. There's so many who ex- who express their experience of coming back, of being able to navigate a way back into a sporting fan experience that means something to them on a different way that they can enjoy the sport, but it also gives them a sense of embracing their moral code. To me, that is the epitome of a real fan because they didn't leave. They came back. They never stopped loving the sport, which is the absolute true narrative of a sports fan. You never stop loving your sport, but they found a way to make it work for them. So in traditional fan culture narrative, that's a non-fan, but in trying to reframe what that actually means and looking at the work that these fans have done to still stay part of a fan culture, but make it work for them and make it meaningful to them, whether it means changing teams, um, just following the women's uh, competition and not the men's not having a team at all and just being part of the culture, they're still showing up. They're still buying memberships. They're still using social media to express their fandom. They're doing all the traditional fan traits, but in a different way. So going through all that, I would absolutely say, Rana, that you are a perfect sports fan and you are doing it the best way that you can that means something to you and still contributes to all of the clubs and teams that you support and you're showing your fandom and wearing your fan heart on your sleeve. And that's all we ask of fans, really. Oh, thank you, Casey. I feel vindicated. I'm going to play <laughs> that to every, every time I get a tweet questioning why I love both Melbourne and Richmond. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Melissa Hickey and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. I need to talk about AFLW with you because it's thrown up a really interesting conversation for fans who didn't have a W team over the last few years. We will get there eventually. But many people adopted a new team in the W and are now split. Do we celebrate AFLW as fans differently? And is it okay to have those two teams? I will say, of course, it's okay. What we see in the women's space is just such a love for the movement. And I think this is such a unexplored area. And I'd love to see more research in this space because the women's fan community is so underserved at the moment by a lack of understanding of all the intersecting ways that fans come to this space. If they're Mm. coming from abandoning the men's code that I mentioned earlier because they felt that it didn't serve them anymore as a fan and didn't see them and didn't accept them or embrace them. 
if they're coming in because they've played women's footy and from a suburban level or they always wanted to play women's footy and they're just here to champion the women who have the opportunity if it's parents bringing their kids and you know their daughters who might be able to be that kind of next generation of athletes now which is that sort of inspirational level and if it's people who have just always wanted to be part of a community but felt sport was not for them um there's so many ways that people are coming to this code and I guess because of the nature of it at the moment that it is pretty semi-professional and athletes are making decisions all the time about how to be involved as an athlete they're moving clubs a lot and they're changing their team colors quite often so fans are just following their favorite players or just following players who used to play for the old BWFL clubs it's not about sort of choosing your team and you're all in on your team this league means something so different from a fan perspective in that there might be a lot of fans out there who don't even really identify so much with their traditional AFLM club in the AFLW, even if they have a representative. They might just have a love for certain players. They just want to go and see their friends in the stands, the online community that has surrounded the AFLW competition, particularly on Twitter. The Outer Sanctum has created this amazing community. People just go just to hang out with people and maybe not so much even for the football. They want to go to a space they feel safe and celebrated and they know they've got friends in the stands I know me personally I rock up to AFLW games by myself all the time because I know I will find people in there who I can go chat to that would be such a different experience for me going to an AFLM game which I do go to alone a lot because I'm not the most fun person to watch um, men's football with because I do have this competitive streak in me but I go in a much more guarded way where I put armor on and I protect myself and I don't want to be seen as too feminine or doing fandom the wrong way and I'm really quiet and I try not to bother people because I don't want to be singled out or I don't want attention I don't want drunk men to point at me and laugh at me which has happened before if I've gotten too enthusiastic about something but so I do that and I have such a different process of going to a men's game um than a women's game I don't care what I am wearing or what I look like and what kind of experience I might have I don't even think about it it's just I'm going to an AFLW game friends are going to be there if there's not friends there I'm more than happy to sit by myself and just soak up the atmosphere and feel safe and feel like this is my place and I don't feel any fear about that and I know there's that's only one sort of experience I'm sure there's so many other fans who have different experiences that come from being from different communities and um and sort of having a lot of additional emotional labor that they have to navigate with going into different spaces so the women's space offers so much more potential to engage with people in such a different way but I think there's just not enough research there and not enough understanding about all the different ways that people intersect with the women's game. So as I said, hopefully there's more and more work there. I'm going to try and do more and more work there because I'm so passionate about it and I want to see the research sort of translate into action plans and broader marketing plans and merchandise and different offerings to get more people there and, and feeling that they feel safe and seen and celebrated because at the end of the day, that's what sport is all about. So well said. You mentioned pop culture and that your research looks into pop culture. I want to know, what are the your favourite depictions of fans in pop culture? <laughs> oh, it's a really funny question, Rana, because I don't know if I have, like, my favourites. Like, I have my favourites to unpack, but that probably doesn't mean that they're my 
favourite and that I love how the fans have presented. Looking at the representations that I, I guess I'm probably a bit obsessed with, there's a remake of a film which is called Fever Pitch, which is based on a British film, which is based on the seminal book Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby. So it's a... Um, I guess a somewhat football memoir of Nick Hornby's experience following the football club Arsenal, um, which was groundbreaking at the time because it was sort of this first book that really charted the fan experience and went into the nitty gritty of it. I use it a lot in my research, but it was this groundbreaking book. I think it's excellent. It definitely has some problematic representation of women in there. (laughs) So prepare yourself for that. But if you're going to read it, I would read the sections that details women's involvement at the football stadium and try and see how they're framed because you can really unpack them in an interesting way but anyway that um was turned into a film um which starred uh, colin first so they tried to make a, a film version of it <laughs> yeah. um which is it's an all right film um it's it tries to sort of depict what was it going on in the book but also sort of centers this romantic relationship as part of it as well which then again has some more problematic portrayals of women trying to take away from the men's fandom and you know add that complication which is interesting then um, an American version of that film was made and put in a baseball setting which is not a great film so this was a 2005 I believe um, it's uh, Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore but in this baseball version of the film it's the same sort of thing it sort of centers this romantic relationship and and Drew Barrymore's character is there to kind of sort of complicate the fan experience with Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Fallon's the real fan and he has these season tickets um, for the Boston Red Sox and that's his one true love and Drew Barrymore's character is framed as being this non-fan she's not a baseball fan he takes her to the stadium and she doesn't know what's going on and these fans in the season ticket seats around them are judging her and trying to pull her out of place there's this super interesting narrative around she's a high-powered executive she's working really hard for a promotion but she's really invested in this relationship and she does all of these things to stay super invested in the relationship. Like she buys all the merchandise. So there'll be montages of her in uh, Fenway Park wearing all the Boston Red Sox gear. So, you know, she's like, she spent her money. She's got her stuff. She's cheering. She's supporting. There's this one scene I'm super interested in is that she goes to a bookshop and she buys every book that she can find on the Boston Red Sox because she wants to not be that ignorant fan anymore. And she picks up a book and she's like, I even got this one. It's um, Carl Yastrzemski. And she can't say Carl Yastrzemski, who's one of the most famous um, Boston Red Sox players. And all the fans around it roll their eyes at her because she can't say that name. And that's immediately coded as her not being a fan because she doesn't know. But she's gone out and done all this work to be knowledgeable, to belong. But because she's a woman, she's immediately framed as that non-fan. So I could talk for hours, Rana, about examples of that, of women in the stands who are exhibiting these behaviours, who want to belong who are happy there but they um they do these things that we're told real fans do like go get the stuff and read the books and be invested in the culture but they're immediately not given that legitimacy just because of their gender I relate so much to that. I've had so many of those moments where <laughs> you feel like you've just kind of outed yourself as not a real fan and and you feel yeah. like, no, I really do love this thing. I just don't look or sound the way you do and the way you're used to a fan sounding. Are Australian fans different? Do we do it differently? Is this the same phenomena around the world? 
I think there's a lot that's the same in terms of gender and this sort of overarching idea of what a quote-unquote real fan is and that centering of the male experience I think is very uh, central to a global experience. I think where things get a bit different across the world is where class plays a big role as well. I think in Australia, not that class doesn't exist, it definitely does here, but sport is a lot more accessible to a lot more people. Looking at, you know, like US sports, for example, and even in the EPL, ticket prices are just so exorbitant and keep a lot of people out. So there's a lot of support a culture that sits outside of the stadium and that's at the pubs and that's at the tailgates and you know particularly in the states when you have uh, college sports being such a, a huge fan experience as well where you're not really following the narratives of professional athletes you've got an allegiance to the school and, and the colors and your experience at the school and, and through your kids and in this really interesting amateur space so yeah, class is a really interesting one that I think complicates the fan experience and um, and alienates a lot of people. And I think that's not something we experience a lot in our professional sports here. And I'm probably talking more from an Australian rules football point of view because I think class probably plays a bit more of a role in um in round ball and um the rugby rugby league and rugby union divide. So yeah, I don't want to say that it definitely doesn't exist, but I think that's something we don't. And maybe it's just something we don't think about enough from an Australian perspective is probably the thing too. But, yeah, that central idea of what a true fan is and what real fans do is pretty universal. Before you go, can you tell us about the piece you've got coming out in an academic journal and where people can find more of your research? I had the real pleasure of co-editing a special issue of text, which is the Journal of Writing and Writing Courses in Australia. and. The special issue that I co-edited with my co-author, um, Dalee McGowan, who is this uh, brilliant football historian, has written books on women's football in Australia and the Matildas, uh, does some fascinating work historically and in uh, fiction of football too, which is another niche of mine. Uh, we put a special issue together, which is all about um, creative writing and sport and trying to challenge some different notions of how sport is represented in creative writing and how creative writing can do a real service to sport and representations of sport and experiences within sport. That's not your kind of typical sports writing that you might just think of when you're thinking about sports writing being match reports and journalism and interviews. There's so much there that does so much to represent that whole experience that we've been talking about. And I have a, a paper within that special issue, which is about what I was talking about earlier, this experience of uh, fans coming back to football through the AFLW competition and trying to challenge that notion of real fans don't leave and trying to reframe the experience of these fans as the real fans because in my view and putting their experience alongside their research they didn't leave they showed all of the real quote-unquote fan behaviors and found a way to stay but in a way that means something more to them and allows them to fully be themselves within that space and I guess that's not to say that the AFLW fan space is perfect and um, it definitely has some more work to do to be more inclusive and bring more and more people in and reflect you know this whole intersectional community that we have but that paper is all about trying to use examples from pop culture team and how frustrated they get, but they can never leave and they have this undying loyalty and then trying to put that alongside these experiences of different people in the AFLW community 
who have done that but in a different way and I think it's important for us to start listening to those stories and start showing those fans the respect and the, the legitimacy that they deserve as fans because in my view they've done the work and they've shown true fan behavior and they've probably done it a little bit better than a lot of other fans who might just put their head in the sand when it gets too hard. Dr. Casey Simons, thank you so much. Uh, it is always a pleasure for me to talk to you. I'm just sad we didn't get to do it face-to-face over a coffee again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad everyone's going to get to hear your thoughts and thank you for being so generous with your experiences too. Where can people find you? Um, sure. Thank you so much for having me, Rana. I mean, yes, let's try and do some more coffees when we can. Um, but people can find me on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter at Casey Simons, K-A-S-E-Y-S-Y-M-O-N-S. I'm always happy to talk to anyone about their fan experiences and fandom, so hit me up. I'm always up for a chat. I work as a research fellow in the Sport Innovation Research Group at Swinburne University, so if you want to follow my work and the work of my colleagues there, um, check out our website and join our LinkedIn page. We're always sharing the work that we're doing there if you're interested. And, yeah, you can see me at AFLW Games, which is the other place I hang out. So if you see me there, come say hi. I would love to chat. And of course, Siren Sport, all of the work yes. you do with your wonderful Definitely. team. Oh, thanks, Rana. Yes, Siren Sport is our little baby. We're trying to do as much as we can to, like, probably this whole conversation shift the narrative about what it means to cover women's sport and be a, women, a woman in sport or be someone who doesn't identify as a woman or is non binary or is coming from a different experience. Um, Siren Sport is there to try and show some visibility, take some action and, and change the space a little bit so we all see our stories reflected. Oh, you do amazing work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rana. That's it for another fifth quarter and for the Outer Sanctum this week. Make sure you catch us on all our socials and we will see you in the outer. Mm-hmm.